Our reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. When the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, when Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, they shall not enter it. Uh, What does he mean? Uh, Does he mean, look at how children act, and by looking at how they act, that is a clue to how you should act in the kingdom of God. Uh, Now, I have four kids, uh, all eight and younger, and if that's what he's saying, this is a very interesting thing to say. Uh, This past summer, we went to the Grand Canyon. Here's a photo of that trip. And uh, taking uh, four young kids to the Grand Canyon is an incredible challenge. Um, And this this reference might be a little dated, but but do you remember that game where, like, you put a marble on, on, like, a wood track, and you have to, like, rotate the track so the marble doesn't fall into the hole? That's sort of what it's like to take kids to the Grand Canyon, only you're trying to prevent children from falling into the Grand Canyon. Canyon, and they're just drawn to the edge, like, uh, you know, irrationally. Um, and so the Grand Canyon, is, it's much like a, a challenge for how many kids you can keep from falling over the edge. And we won that challenge. We kept all four. Um, so is Jesus saying, hey, look, listen, look at how kids act. And that is a clue for how you are, to, you are to act in the kingdom of God. Whatever he says here is really important. And apparently everyone is missing what's really important. In this moment, the Jesus is with his disciples, a number of people who are interested in what Jesus is teaching, and people are, are bringing their, their babies to Jesus. Uh, it's a cute scene, right? They're handing little babies to Jesus, and he is taking them. But the disciples decide, this is, this is listen, Jesus is far too serious for this. And so he tells people, uh, the, the disciples tell people to get those babies out of here. Uh, which, listen, uh, side note, even if a baby's screaming its head, head off, do not be that guy who says, get the baby out of here, right? You're never going to look good when you're telling people to get the baby out of here. Um, so don't be that guy. But Jesus doesn't just say, hey, knock it off, killjoys. He escalates. He actually says to the disciples, uh, no, actually, you're missing something so fundamentally important here that if you don't begin to see it, you will not enter the kingdom of God. If you don't see what you're missing, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what are they missing? What what uh, What might we be missing? They're missing something about the kingdom. They're missing something about children. And when you see those two things, you begin to see what Jesus is making so important in this passage. So first, what, what, we, what we miss about the kingdom of God. Now, uh, we're in a series uh, that began last week that's going to take us all the way up to Easter that we're calling Re- Rediscovering Jesus' Kingdom. And, and we're basically, we're looking at the very end of Jesus' life, Luke uh, chapter 18 through 24. And the reason we call it Rediscovering Jesus' Kingdom is because we do not want to miss what is often missed about the message that Jesus preached. That oftentimes the message of Jesus is just boiled down to forgiveness 
of sins. And Jesus is your own possible or your own uh, personal transportation to heaven, and he forgives your sins. And that, that is a part of the message Jesus preached. But however, that is not how Jesus summarized his own message. In the beginning of each gospel, it's clear, Jesus' summary message was not about forgiveness of sins. It was about the kingdom of God. So in Mark or in Matthew 3, 2, for the opening message for Jesus, the opening words of Jesus are, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see the same thing in Mark 1, verse 15. When Jesus begins his message, he says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And Luke has that in the opening of his ministry, uh, of the opening of Jesus' ministry as well. In Luke 4, when Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, to the other town than just the one Jesus was in, for I was sent for this purpose. I was sent for the purpose of preaching the kingdom of God. Now, again, the kingdom of God includes forgiveness of sins, but that is not how Jesus summarized his message. His summary message was, I am bringing the kingdom of God. So, what is the kingdom of God? And the two best definitions I've read uh, are from Tony Evans and uh, Dallas Willard. And Tony Evans, uh, if you know him, he's an African-American preacher, so his quote is very much in African-American preaching uh, form, so this is not going to translate well because, listen, I'm as white as they come, but I'm going to try. Tony Evans, his definition of the kingdom of God is, is this, the kingdom of God, God's comprehensive rule over all creation. And if God's kingdom is comprehensive, so is his kingdom agenda, his plan and program for the people and places under his dominion. And his point is that there's no area of the world or our lives that God does not lay claim to have authority over. There's not a part of your day, there's not a part of this earth that God does not claim authority over our world and our lives. So that's, that's Tony Evans' vision and definition of, of the kingdom of God as Jesus meant it. Dallas Willard's definition is a little bit smaller, and it's this. It's the, reign, the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will where what God wants done is done. I actually like that as a good kind of summary definition. The kingdom of God is the place where what God wants done is done. So the kingdom of God then is is somewhat like uh, my wife Misty's birthday. Uh, Now her birthday is August 1st, and that birthday comes with certain claims of authority. Uh, if she asks anything, it is to, to be done. And she can, she can even ask something to be done. And I might say, uh, but actually it's July 28th. It's actually not August 1st. It's not your birthday. But the realm and power and kingdom of her birthday is so effective and so all-encompassing, it reaches into the days and the weeks before and after her actual birthday. And it's for her to decide when it begins and when it ends. Her rule and reign is completely effective and it's her authority. There is no limit to it. So imagine that, but at a cosmic scale, where God's kingdom is whatever he wants done is going to be done, and there will be no challenge to it. So that raises a couple of questions. First, is everything on earth right now what God wants done? And the, the answer to that question is obviously no. It's why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus invited us to pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's so obvious, and this week a clear example, the, the reign and the rule and the authority of, this, of God on this earth is not yet full and complete. 
So that's one. So, okay, we're waiting. And that was their whole Revelation series for the kingdom to come in its fullness. The second question then is, well, what does God want done in the world? If the kingdom of God is one day, his reign will be complete over all the world. What will that look like? What is God, what does God want done in the world? And listen, this is time for shameless plug number four. I mean, Joseph already mentioned it, but that's why we're doing a how to read our Bible class. Because in one sense, the entire Bible is addressing that question. What does God want done in the world? Right? What is going on in his world? What does he care about? What is he passionate about? That's why we read our Bibles. That's why we need to keep reading our Bibles to better see and live in the kingdom of God. That's why we read Psalm 72 this morning, to get a sense of what does the reign of a good king look like. And so to be a Christian is not just to believe some things about God. John, or James makes very clear the demons believe things about God. What makes a Christian distinct is we want his kingdom. We want what he wants done in the world. We want that to be the all-encompassing reality that we experience, and we will settle for nothing less. So, um, what does God want done in our world? To, to maybe give some more specific language on that, after even though Psalm 72 did a good job of that, um, Jesus' first sermon in Luke 4 lays out God's agenda. Um, and it's from Isaiah 61. Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 and says, that, That's me. This is what I've come to bring. And then in Luke, uh, a few verses later in Luke 4, uh, the verse I quoted, he says, I've come to preach the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. Isaiah 61, quoted by Jesus in Luke 4, saying, This is me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, now, I spent a whole sermon on what Jesus means in that uh, quotation, or in that, that, by that quotation of Isaiah 61 back in January or February of 2020, the year of which we will never speak again. Um, and listen, I really liked that sermon. You should go and listen to it if you want a full uh, unpacking of what that means. But let me, let me summarize what Jesus is saying in, a, in just a sentence or two here for this morning. What Jesus means by that is all of the people who mostly get bad news in this world, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, those with physical disabilities, those who are oppressed, Jesus is referring to all of those people by the words used in Isaiah 61. The people who mostly get bad news in this world get uniquely good news in the kingdom of God. And essentially what he means by that is that the kingdom of God is for everyone. There's no one out. There's no one ruled out by their low status. There's no, no one ruled out by their position in life. The kingdom of God is literally for everyone. And it's especially for the person that you don't think it's for. It's the whole point of Isaiah 61. So that is the kingdom of God as Jesus describes it, what we might miss about it. Just a brief first point about the kingdom of God. The second uh, theme then is what do, we, what, are, what do we miss about children that make them such an important uh, aspect to the kingdom of God? So what do we miss about children? And we have two attitudes in, about children in our own uh, day that are very similar to the attitudes that they had in, in this day. One is that we, we love babies, and they loved babies. Um, our Instagram and social media feeds are filled with pictures of our children doing literally everything everywhere. 
Uh, now, to be clear, like, this is not at all, uh, not all weird, right? We have, you know, I grew up in Indiana. Most of our family is still in Indiana. So that social media feed is really, like, really powerful and important to our extended family. We get to see our kids live. So don't, I'm not hating only on social uh, media. But it is a little weird um, that we post as much as we, we do. And uh, comedian uh, Norm MacDonald has a great uh, bit where he pointed out that, you know, most people 100 years ago had one photograph of them taken. And that was it. Right? Your ancestors, maybe, maybe you have one photo of your great-great-grandfather around your house somewhere, but probably not. But maybe you have one. Uh, and Norm MacDonald points out that in 100, uh, about 100 years, our grandchildren uh, will be able to say uh, to their children, hey, do you want to see like 100,000 photos of our grandparents? Uh, what they did every day of their life, right? So that we have this unique obsession with uh, babies. And the same spirit actually is going on here. And not, in actually not an unhealthy way. Like, that's okay. I'm, I'm sort of poking fun, but that... There's something actually really beautiful about this. Um, and especially in this day, infant mortality rates were very high. Uh, so it was likely that most of the parents who were bringing these babies, and, and in this case, it is infants. It's not, there are other places where people were bringing little children to Jesus. This is actually a place where infants are being brought to him. And the reason they're bringing the, these infants to Jesus, most likely, is for him to bless them and to, to bless them in such a way that they won't die in infancy. That's probably why they're bringing these children to Jesus. So it's, it's, it's beautiful. All right, so in one, both today and ancient world this moment, there's a high value of love of infants, of babies. But two, both of us today and the people in Jesus' day viewed children, especially infants, as disposable and unimportant. There's a contradiction. That we fill our Instagram feeds with children, yes, Right? A sign of how much we love and value them. But we also have a cultural strand that we fear if children get in the way of career success, financial security, our lives as we plan it, then that's why we have abortion on demand. Children are disposable. They have no status and no rights. We define their value in their life. And children are completely vulnerable to the estimation of the value that we give to them. And that's exactly what's happening in this story. Children, and especially babies, had nothing to offer. They had no social standing. They had no status. And that's why the disciples say, get them out of here. And so theologian Joel Green gets at the heart of why the disciples tell people to get babies out of here. Get them out of here. And it's this question. Why should Jesus' time be taken up with persons of such little importance? You can almost imagine the disciples saying to these people, "Uh, do you know who Jesus is? He's kind of a big deal. He's very important. And this becomes clear because uh, in the next passage, and this will be next week's sermon, there's a rich young ruler waiting to speak with Jesus. So you can almost imagine the disciples like, see, someone really important has showed up to talk to Jesus, and he's holding babies. And they're like, this is not the way, Jesus is too important for this. We've got to get these babies out of here. And Jesus says, no. And he doesn't just say, no, listen, guys, get it up. You know, get it together. You're, you're being, you're, you know, come on. Actually, what he says is he escalates. It. And he says, if you see these kids and you think they're not important enough for me, you do not want my kingdom. Which is, what does he mean? Again, this isn't just like, hey, you know, get some better attitudes about babies. It's not what he says. He actually says, your attitude is such that you are, you are not ready for the kingdom of God. So why does Jesus say this? What is he getting at? 
And why does Luke record it for us? That he, Luke thinks this is so important that disciples of Jesus should meditate on this story until Jesus returns. What are we missing? And that's point three. What, what, we, what we cannot miss or else we miss the kingdom of God. So let's listen again to what Jesus says, the language he use, uh, uses in verse 17. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now this can mean one of two things. It can mean, one, what I mentioned in the intro. It can mean you must become like a child in order to receive the kingdom. Kids are carefree, trusting, etc. And children have some intrinsic quality to them. And as you watch children go about their lives, that's a clue to how you are to act going into the kingdom of God. But I don't think that's right. There are other passages where that is clear. That's what Jesus is saying. You must become like a child to enter the kingdom of God. That's not what Luke is saying here. After all, the, the children uh, that, that are brought to Jesus here are actually, they are babies, and, like, become like that baby, you know, there, which, you know, have you, if you've seen babies, there's not much to, like, there's not much moral instruction happening from their lives. That doesn't make sense. And it actually doesn't make sense of the Greek language here, what Jesus is saying. And so the other option for what Jesus means, which I think is more likely, is explained by Joel Green, uh, one of the uh, eminent theologians on, the, on Luke's writings, both, both the Gospel of Luke, but in particular on the Gospel of Luke. And he explains this text this way. He writes... Receiving the kingdom is intimately tied to receiving little children. That is, the wording of verse 17 masks an ellipsis. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, as one receives a little child, will never enter it. Receiving little children is tantamount to granting them hospitality, performing for them actions, washing of feet, kiss of greeting, anointing of head, normally reserved for those of equal or higher status. That is, Jesus is asking his followers to embrace a topsy-turvy system of values and to extend respectful service to that social group most often overlooked. So the world looks at certain people and defines them as valueless. The unborn, infants, the poor, the blind, those with physical disabilities are enemies. And says, not important. They have nothing to offer us. And then those people are treated accordingly. As a, as a church family, we've actually met in seven different locations now. Uh, we met at Maranatha, in the gym, uh, Trail Ridge Middle School, uh, the old movie theater on Neiman, the Hyatt Place Hotel, uh, the park, and here, actually, that's six places. We've met at six places total. And to be clear, I like this place the best. That's my vote. I say we stay. Um, but when we were debating on whether or not we go to the old movie theater on Neiman, that was a risky move. If you remember, those of you who were with us. It's right at 75th and Neiman. We were not going to sign a long-term lease there. And if they found a tenant, we would get kicked out with short, short notice. Uh, and, of course, that is what ended up happening, um, unfortunately. But knowing that was possible, we, we met with a number of people to seek their feedback. If you remember last night at Vision Night, we asked for your input. We said, uh, hey, we'd, we'd like to do this. And everyone said yes, but one person said no. Actually, they never said no, but what they said made clear they were saying no. And what they, what they didn't like the shopping center that the theater was in, next to a Dollar General. It is one of the poorest parts of our city, no doubt. And in a meeting with them, they spoke 
despairingly of the neighborhood, and they looked at me and said, we don't shop in places like that. I can still picture their faces. The disdain, the condescension, the disgust that they directed towards the neighborhood and the people who live there. And Jesus would say, if that's your spirit, the kingdom of God is nowhere near you. Uh, those people are, will not be here this morning. I think they're still looking for people good enough for them. But that is the spirit Jesus is getting at. When you look at another person and you say, I'm better than them. They have no value in my eyes. The dis with disdain, disgust, condescension. And that's the spirit of our culture right now, isn't it? Jesus is saying, if you do not receive the people who have nothing to offer you, then you don't believe the kingdom of God has anything to offer you. If you don't show hospitality to people who have nothing to offer you, you do not believe the kingdom of God has anything to offer you. If when people come near you that you have nothing for you, if you want them sent away, if you, don't, if you don't have time for them, if you don't have a heart for them, Jesus is saying you don't have a heart for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where what God wants done is done. So what does God want done? In his kingdom, no one gets overlooked. No one gets tossed aside. No one has no value. And those traditionally tossed aside are not tossed aside in the kingdom of God. Those are the people who flocked to Jesus. The poor. Those with physical ailments and disabilities and sickness. Those who were wealthy and yet the society looked with condescension tax collectors. Those who, were, um, who sexually did not live upstanding lives. Those people flocked to Jesus. So what does that mean for us in our community? I want to say three things. First is, is we pay attention to the people everyone else forgets. Uh, one of the things I love about our location is that we are right next to Planet Fitness, uh, which means we are, are so close to Planet Fitness, that creates a lot of interactions for people asking about our church, or oftentimes people who walk into our building thinking that they are walking into Planet Fitness only to have a rude surprise. And my favorite example of this over the past few months uh, was a guy who walked up on a Sunday morning uh, a few months ago, and it was me and Melissa standing at the door. He walks up, and he just announces, uh, I want to cancel my membership. <laughs> and I looked at him, like, no clue who he was, like, dude, I don't, are you a member here? Like, should I, I feel kind of bad because I don't know you. And apparently, and then I'm like, he wants to cancel his Planet Fitness uh, membership. And Melissa was so kind. She's like, let me take you into Andrew. He can get that done. He's like, no, he, he's a, we're talking about a different membership here. Uh, and then we escorted him over to uh, Planet uh, Fitness. And listen, we have those, we have those encounters, people who uh, come into our church thinking we are Planet uh, Fitness. And we have, but we have other ones. And one of my favorites so far is someone named Anthony. And he left Planet, Planet Fitness asking, um, is this a church? And we talked. He was recently out of prison. He goes to Planet Fitness uh, every day, but never church. And he said he probably needed to. And just a brief uh, two minutes. Um, and I told that story in an update for, for all of Christ's community. And someone from Olathe made him a meal, froze it, and brought it here and said, whenever he comes again, you give it to him. 
And that's exactly what the kingdom of God is all about. And eventually he did come. He visited one Sunday, Sunday months later. The, free, the meal was in the freezer for months. We gave him the meal. Uh, he smiled. Um, but here's the thing. People like Anthony, people who have been to prison or whose lives are not considered respectable by our broader culture, um, lives that, that haven't gone as they hoped for, they are often really intimidated to walk into a church which is the precise opposite of how people experienced Jesus. Prisoners, tax collectors, sinners, babies, the least important of society flocked to Jesus. So what is it about us that's different than Jesus? I don't remember where I first heard this or who said it, but I remember hearing it very clearly once that if the people who were most drawn to and attracted to Jesus are not the people most attracted to church, we might need to consider the possibility that we are preaching a different message than him. And I'll just be like, that, this passage is why I am a pastor and why I am a Christian. That I believe the church is the only place in our society where anyone can walk through the doors and is not going to be met with a lecture, a condescending look, a spirit of judgment, a spirit of correction. Let me tell you everything you're getting wrong right now before you can come in. That's not who the church is. Now, whoever walks in the door, we pull up a chair, and we listen to their story, and we give them the dignity and the value and the hospitality that Jesus gave to every person who approached him except for the people who were really condescending, conservative, self-righteous, religious people. They did not get much hospitality from Jesus. But sinners did. So as a church, we, we pay attention to the people no one else pays attention to. Secondly, that means then we have relationships, or we should have relationships, that make no sense. And one of the most famous Christian documents of the early church is called The Passion of Perpetua. It's a story of, the, of a martyrdom of a number of Christians, but it focuses primarily on two women, Felicity and Perpetua. And the Romans intend on killing them, and so they put them in the arena with wild animals, and the animals attack these two young women, knocking them both unconscious. And here's the thing. Perpetua was a, was a wealthy Roman patrician whose family tried to discourage her from becoming a Christian, and Felicity was a slave. And Roman, like the Roman patristic society and slaves did not spend time together. They did not talk to one another. And here are two in the, in the arena about to be killed. And Alan Crider, in his book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, he writes this to summarize what happens next. The, the, the animal knocks these two women unconscious. They're on the brink of death. And he writes, Perpetua woke up, went to Felicitas, Felicity, raised her up, and the two stood side by side, a patrician and a slave, reflexively and highly visibly expressing Christian horizontally. What he means is, all of Roman society saw two people that would never be together, together. Like our own culture today, the rich and the poor don't spend time together. They don't sit together. They don't commune together. Similar, you could go to our own sociological studies, the same is true today. The poor and the rich stay apart. That's been true throughout societies, throughout the world. 
with some small exceptions of when the church gets the message of Jesus right. And here, they're dying together. The inability to explain the relationships that existed in the early church caused the early church to explode in growth because people knew they would be loved and cared for and welcomed no matter who they were. Whatever their ethnicity was, was irrelevant. Whatever their class was, was irrelevant. They didn't walk in the doors and be met and were met with a, a lecture or a condescending look or you better believe these things before you can. No, they were welcomed with hospitality like those infants were received into Jesus' own arms. And I would ask, do we have those relationships? Who are you in relationship with right now that makes no sense in light of the world's values system? Are you close to someone who has a different socioeconomic status than you? What relationships do you have that make no explanation other than the body of Christ? Are you close to someone who has a different skin color than you? Are you close to someone who has a different uh, political view than you have? Do you have relationships that are not explained by the world's value system? And if the answer is no, we need to hear Jesus' warning this morning. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, whoever does not receive those who have nothing to offer them, has no interest in the kingdom of God, because that is what the kingdom of God is. Those with no status, no importance, nothing to offer, being given hospitality. And that's where I want to end. Third, we, as a church, we receive divine hospitality even though we have nothing to offer. I mean, that is the gospel. When Jesus tells us to receive children, to receive people that no one else wanted, like that is the gospel, that the Son of God receives us, sinners, with divine hospitality and grace. And the next time this word receives shows up, it's in Luke chapter 22, verse 17, where we read, Jesus says, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Jesus lived this teaching all the way to his death. At his table, his last table before he is executed, he extended hospitality to the one he knew was going to betray him. And his own hospitality in that moment was not like, hey, let's share a meal. His hospitality was actually his life. It was his body broken, his blood shed, and he shared that with his betrayer. Does Jesus, the night of communion, say, listen, y'all, y'all got nothing to offer me. I'm going in the corner. I'm going to eat this meal by myself because you're a bunch of jerks. No. He gave his body, he gave his life to us who had literally nothing to offer him. Less even than those babies who were brought into his arms seeking healing. Jesus receives those who have nothing to offer him but betrayal and sin and brokenness, which means Jesus receives me and he receives you. So the question this morning is not, you know, are you good enough for the kingdom of God? Are you doing those things? No, it's not. the question is, 
Are you actually receiving the divine hospitality of Christ? Have you actually seen? You have nothing to offer him. You are a sinner. You're not getting in through your good works. And yet, here he is with open arms offering his own table to you. You can't come with your own rights. You can't come with your own goodness. You can't come with your own what you have to offer him. You can only come empty-handed a sinner. And when you've received that hospitality enough time, you can't look at other people with condescension or arrogance or pride and talk about how you're better than them and people like you don't do things people like them would. You can't do that. Because of the divine hospitality you have received. So have you received it? Because if you have, then your table will be like his table. So is your table like his table? In church, if we are living on the divine hospitality and grace of Christ, that means our table will be like his table. So is our table like his table? Let's pray. Father, what incredible news that we get to speak as a church this morning to one another. That however people walk in this morning, however low they feel about themselves, however broken they are, there is no one too low to receive the kingdom of God. So God, help us get low enough to receive the kingdom of God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.